that, that somehow it's, it's shameful to, to bring them up. Bring them before the Lord. But today, what we'll hear, we'll hear actually three different stories. Over and over again, God says, bring all that you are. The, the, the joys and the terror. The, the, the stuff that looks nice and the stuff that's just totally dysfunctional. Bring it to me. Whether it's violence, abuse, the isms around us, sexism, racism, they've accumulated you. This trauma that can, that can cause us to respond in emotionally distorted ways, to, to be apathetic or, or to be led by, by grief or, or sorrow, uh, to, to be confused, to, to be always have this low level of anger, and you wonder where that comes from. That's, that's what the trauma is and what we'll hear about today and recognize from three different stories the way that God enters into our brokenness to bring healing, as we just heard, we just, just sang. The first story we get to hear today is from Ann Klusmeyer. Ann is an, an elder, um, a newly elected elder, and um, she's been knowing that, that she, it was time for her to share her story. She came to me in December, the beginning of December, said, hey, Drew, we need to get together. I need to, to talk. I know it's Christmas. We'll get together in January. Well, January came and sort of went, and, uh, and, and then recently uh, I have been asking the elders to be ready to, to share a story. Each elder will share a story just how God is meaningful in their lives. Um, and um, this month, uh, was the second, so this first this first Sunday um, in, in January here, the, the, or the last Sunday in January, it's going to be trauma. And you can just see it in Ann's face. It's, oh, okay. This is the time that for me to share uh, my story. So, Ann, if you would come forward and join us. I tried to move on. I had not apologized. 
Catholic school, so I enrolled in college and I started trying to put my life back together. However, the trauma I had experienced did not heal on its own. While I wasn't actively suicidal, I did a lot of things that were harmful to myself. In a way, I think I was kind of passively suicidal, trying to destroy myself. I've internalized a lot of those lies I've been told. I felt unlovable. I wandered for 10 years in a kind of messed up life. I like to think I hid my brokenness and that most people would not have known there was anything at all wrong. But it was a manager at work, also an abuse survivor, who stopped on my facade and suggested I get psychological help. When I finally went to the psychologist, I was diagnosed with PTSD and related to that anorexia. It was during this really dark period of my life that I came to the most powerful spiritual understanding that I've ever had. I felt the power of evil very clearly. Evil is real. But even more tangible was the power of light. I came to understand that the spirit, it's, it's as tangible as before I could stand it on. I know the spirit is real, and I experienced the spirit fighting for me. There were three key times of healing from the trauma. The first, obviously, was when I was getting out of the physical danger and not going back into that dangerous situation. The second part of my healing happened when I stopped asking the question, why did this happen to me? Whenever I tried to answer the why question, I came back to all the signs I was told. You deserve this. This is your fault. You're no good. Those were the only answers I could see. Why? I needed to stop asking that question. I still don't answer that question. I don't want for answers. Someday, maybe I'll know. Yeah. 
God walked with Anne every step of the way, whether she knew it or not. And it was God walks with us. Jesus walks with each of us. And whatever challenges that we, we face. And the other thing that, that we see is that that um, and statistics tell us this is not that unusual. 33% of the population has stories like Anne. And others have maybe not stories so specific, but still the reality of the trauma and evil that they face in our lives. And that Jesus wants to walk with us through it to bring healing. Now, the next story, and you said that might be nice, and that's Anne's story. Well, let me tell you a biblical story. A story of another person that's faced trauma like this, dysfunction of many kinds within his family, and it's Joseph. Joseph is the 11 of 12 sons born to Jacob. Jacob is, the, is Israel, he's the father of Israel. The 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, this is the founding family of the church. And they, as a colleague of mine said, they put the fun in dysfunction. Now, because Jacob, this is, uh, Joseph is Abraham's great-grandson. And he, Jacob has this, he, he, a cardinal rule in our house. Uh, was it, you know, around gift-giving time, you sort of had to count, you know, so that everything was equal. Uh, I don't know if that's the same in your families or not, but, you know, because the kids are going to be looking and seeing who got more, them or their siblings, you know, and, well, Joseph, he broke that rule. I mean, he was clear, um, or Jacob did, because he said, Joseph, you're my favorite, and Benjamin, your little brother, number 11 and 12, y'all so much so that he gave Joseph this multicolored coat and everybody else likes some little sweaters or something. That's when we get the Broadway play. You know, Joseph and the Technicolor dream coats. If you've seen that, that's based on the story of Joseph. So, but look, Jacob, uh, he has the ten boys uh, who are now, I mean, they're in their 20s, uh, late teens and 20s. They're out working the fields, taking care of the lamb, overseeing the, the property, and Benjamin and Joseph, the two youngest, they're still hanging out with Dad. And, and Joseph about this time is 17. And Jacob said, hey, go check on the boys. See how they're doing. And come tell me. So as Joseph heads towards the boys, uh, they, they see him coming. And they start to scheme. And they hatch a plan to kill him. They want to murder him. And cooler heads prevail. And they say, no, let's not do that. Let's just throw him in a well. Okay. It's a dry well. Yeah, about 12 feet deep. A hole dug into the earth. Let's just throw them in there. So they do. They throw them there, leave them there, and then as time goes by, we don't know how long. Some Ishmaelites come by, not friends of the Hebrews. They come by and they say, hey, let's make some money. Let's sell them. Pull them out of there and sell them with Ishmaelites for 20 shots. And then he's home. Next thing that we know, Joseph is in Egypt. He's there with, with Egypt and uh, in, in Egypt, and, and he Joseph is gifted. He is very smart and he is connected with God. Now he may be arrogant and foolish, unwise in some 
he is now the leader of the house. He oversees the entire uh, Pharaoh's entire estate. As Pharaoh travels around doing his stuff, he's the one that's in charge. And Potiphar's wife, he starts, she starts taking a liking to Joseph, makes some advances on him. And Joseph says, "No, I mean, your husband trusts me. God trusts me. I, I've got to abide by their wishes. So no, I can't do this." Well, Potiphar eventually gets frustrated, and at one point, Colt grabs him, pulls him into this room, and he runs, leaving his cup behind. And Potiphar then takes that moment to get Joseph and say, Hey, servants, look, Joseph, he's been in my room. He made advances against me. Go get him. Tell Pharaoh what has happened. And Pharaoh finally finds out, throws Joseph in jail. So he's, he's 17 when he was given into slavery. Now, a few years later, he's in jail, forgotten. But the same thing happens. Joseph is with, with God. We're told throughout our common frames, throughout the scripture. This is in Genesis 37 through 50. You're welcome. I didn't read the whole thing um, for you. Uh, but uh, you can go back and read that story. If you're in group groups, there's uh, even a few videos you can go watch that sort of tell this story. Uh, but uh, he, in prison, then the same thing happens. He's with God, God's with him. His gifts show he becomes like the the. the Warden's favorite. And again, helping to leave the place. And he, he's interpreting people's dreams and telling them what God is, is speaking to them through their dreams. So he, he's very much appreciated there in the prison. And one of the people who interpret the dreams, he's about to be released and go back to Pharaoh. And he says, Hey, tell Pharaoh that I'm here. And remember what, what I'm doing. Well, he says, Okay, I'll go. I'll go. And he gets out for this. Does his own thing for another several years until one day Pharaoh has. Nobody can interpret it. And so then this guy remembers, oh, hey, yeah, there's this dude in jail. Uh, Joseph's his name. Yeah, he can interpret dreams. And so, okay, go get Joseph. Joseph comes out, meets with Pharaoh, and here's his dream. And the dream is God telling Pharaoh what's going to happen for the next 14 years. That there's going to be seven years of feast, seven years of bummer crops, and then there's going to be seven years of worst famine and drought the world has ever seen. And so Joseph tells Pharaoh the dreams. Pharaoh says, oh, that makes sense. You're in charge. So he becomes the, the agricultural department head, the, the leader of food distribution. And so he, he leads now the farms those seven years of rubber crops and he stores up as much as he, he can so that those seven years of famine he starts to disperse so that it can feed the, the population of Egypt and beyond for those seven years. Well, by, by this, this time, uh, Joseph is uh, 30 years old or so when he gets out. So you have the seven years, around 37, 38 now, that the famine starts. Well, in, in the famine, the, uh, the famine also hits Israel. It's Jacob and Joseph's family. And so they, they, Jacob says, all right, boys, again, he sends the ten. Benjamin stays with him. Go, go find out if we can buy food in Egypt, if this is indeed the case, if they've got food. So they head down. Of course, Joseph recognizes them. I mean, ten brothers show up. His father's Jacob. It's not hard to figure out who they are. But it's been, what, 20 years? 
since they've seen Joseph, they don't recognize him. And so he goes back and forth, back and forth with them in a, a little convoluted way, but eventually he gets the whole family to come to Egypt, where then he reveals who he is, his father over him. So Joyce, the brothers are believed, and they live there and stay there for 17 years until Jacob dies, father dies. By this time, Joseph is, what, 57 years old, and that's what we think of the story. Very Genesis chapter 50, starting with verse 15. Jacob is God. Joseph is still assistant Pharaoh. And the boys are wondering, what's going to happen? How, how will Joseph respond? 37 years since he was sold in Genesis chapter 50, starting verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. It's almost funny. If it weren't sad. At this this stage, this this stage, now they're they're saying, oh, remember your dad meant to tell you this. Thinking somehow that's gonna carry the day. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your Lord. Does he comfort them and spoke kindly to them? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Joseph experienced God's healing presence through the terrors and traumas of life. Joseph experienced God's healing presence through the terrors and traumas. Kidnapped by his brother, sold into slavery at 17, jailed unjustly and forgotten for like 10 years. Took 37 years for his brothers to connive away to ask for forgiveness. Yet he was healed. He was the healthy one in the midst. He's now saying, yeah, what happened was evil. What happened was absolutely terrible and traumatic. Yet God, what only God can do, 
crying tears, and I say it this prayer. A lot of people say, don't make deal with God. I made a deal with him. I say, Lord, if you don't let them kill me, I promise you I'll serve you the rest of my life. Come on, I'm here. He's never visiting. Come on, I'm trying to hold up my hand. And for the first time in my life, oh, I felt the peace of God. I didn't know what it was then. But I felt calm. I was calm. There was an assurance in me that said, you're going to be all right. Couldn't explain it. And so the jury comes back with a guilty verdict of the response verdict, which was second-degree murder. Second-degree murder, which I didn't know, carried a mandatory life sentence without benefits of parole or probation. Let me translate that in, in language terms. You die in prison. And so I'm like, wow. So I go on this journey from the jail, now entering the penitentiary. Louisiana State Penitentiary, better known as Angola. This place was labeled the bloodiest prison in the nation, the most violent prison. And you heard Pastor talk about the average sentence, 99 years. When you go to Angola, you didn't come back. Come on, you didn't come home. And for years and decades of being there, you just didn't see people go home. Very seldom somebody get a reversal or go back to court, get their sentence changed and go home. But in the midst of that, God sends me into that. I believe he was with me. And I couldn't figure out what was going on in me. I knew something happened to me in that cell. But I couldn't really figure it out because I still was doing some of the same things. Still was talking the same way. Come on, just like a baby comes out of the womb in the natural, it looks like when it came out. Come on, it don't come out looking like the little girl baby. Oh, you so cute, we be lying. You know, that baby come out with all type of afterbirth. It has to be clean, it has to be fed, it has to be fed. And so I had no one to do that for me in the in the spirit. And so when I get there, man, amazingly, God sends me around. He's orchestrating this whole thing. He sends me around people that's willing to help me and not hurt me. Come on, some of the greatest men of God I've met was in prison. I'm talking about real men. I'm talking about pastors in prison. These pastors, they live with their members. Come on, come on, out here you might see your pastor this that on Sunday or here or there. But imagine that living in a dormitory with your members, pastor. And so you had to you had to walk upright because we were so broken in prison, we needed something real to look at. Come on, you could play it. It's difficult to be a successful hypocrite in prison. I promise you, you live in a glass shop. And so these men of 
God begin to lead me and teach me and disciple me. And before you know, see a little story. Ron Olivia, you can go Google it now. Rest of that that story there. Um, obviously, he didn't make it out, and obviously, um, uh, he's now continuing to, to carry forth and share his his story of Jesus walking with him uh, in his healing. What happened was in 2012, the Supreme Court said it was constitutionally inappropriate uh, to sentence a child to death or life in prison. Brain science and neurology has improved. You, you know that a 16-year-old's brain is not fully formed. Of course, any parent of an adolescent can tell you that. But because of that, reform and rehabilitation is very possible. And so that was deemed unconstitutional. And it took six years, five or six years, for the state of Louisiana to agree with that decision. But when that finally happened, then um, Mr. Olivier was least at the age of 43, 27 summers he spent. And that's the title of his book, 27 Summers. And then it tells all the other tales as well. Of the being in the jail system in Angola particularly. Um, since his release, um, he's married, has a three-year-old son, and he serves now on the Louisiana State Parole Project, where they walk with returning citizens who have been incarcerated for 20 years or more. And they walk with them and say, there's a few things that have changed out here since you went in. You see, this is called a cell phone. And this is how it works. Um, and a number of other things. And they have a 3% recidivism rate, which means 3% of them go back to prison. 97% stay. Um, um, his most common line that you'll see, you'll hear as he speaks, is don't tell me what God can do. Don't tell me what God can do. And Joseph and I show a variety of all kinds of evil and, and trauma and some, some victims, some perpetrators. All different kinds of evil. Jesus met them no matter what. That's the abounding grace, scandalous mercy of God. This is not something we face evil that you just gut it out. This is not sort of brush it off, stiff up or up, just make it through. This, is, this takes supernatural healing, as Hannah shared power of the Holy Spirit to face the evil that we know is encounter in our lives. Jesus loves you so much that he faced the utmost trauma in his life to walk with us in ours. Consider that. Now that is a little bit around Christmas. You know, Jesus, as a, as a child, was a refugee. You know, the king was trying to kill him. And he and his family had to take off to go to Egypt. In his teenage years, 
Ron's father died somewhere after 12 or 13 years old. There were times in his adult ministry where his family said he was crazy. And at the end of his life, his closest friends betrayed him and denied him and led him to this angry court where he was beaten and berated and ridiculed, stripped naked, hung on a cross for the world to see.
that's our step, just to come forward and pray and ask for God's cleaning, God's healing, whatever it might be, invite you, encourage you, and that's God. Just remember, Ronnie's alive. Don't tell me what God can do. He sent his son. God, traumatic, 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 terrifying death to show us whatever we face. We do give you praise that you, your love is greater than we can imagine. Your power is greater than we can imagine. Your power for goodness and for life and for light and for hope. We, we give you thanks that no matter what we face, we know that you are greater. We give you thanks for your scriptures that tell us the story over and over and over again. What many mean for evil, you turn we give you thanks for Jesus, his life, his death, and the power of his resurrection. We ask, Lord, for each of us, for us as a church, that you will continue to, to guide and, and direct us. You will help us continue to grow in faith and take the next step that we can in our relationship with you to, to walk in your healing. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are overwhelmed we consider the trauma and evil of war-torn lands, whether it's in Israel or, or Gaza, whether it's in Ukraine or Russia, whether it's in Ethiopia or Sudan, where there's um, persecution and, and oppressive governments that, uh, that persecute people of different types, uh, particularly your, your church and others. We, we pray in those areas that you would be strengthening your church and raising up your hands experience your, your healing and be a witness to you and be a force for what is good in the midst of evil. Pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. And Lord, we, we lift up our friends and family as well. Uh, particularly this day, we lift up Jerry Federley and Cherie Funez and Janet Bennett as they are facing illness and, and disease challenges and struggles to pray your peace will be upon them upon your family that they will not live in fear they will know the power of your presence now we, we pray also for this coming week as our denomination as the national gathering in South Carolina uh, hundreds and hundreds will be traveling there uh, a number from a year going pray safety for travels and pray that we will experience it again your your love and grace, experience the unity of your, your people united around Jesus and, and their people will strengthen us.